0: Well, good morning. Uh, I cannot articulate how excited that I am to be here. Um, You know, Green Bay. I feel like you guys rolled out the the red carpet for my arrival in your seven minus seven degree weather. Um, (laughs) Like I I was joking with Irwin, who, side note, says sends his love and is so sorry that he couldn't be here. Um, So that's a side note. But we were joking about our brains can't even comprehend. What that kind of cold like feels like, and then I woke up this morning, and then my brain comprehended <laughs> what that cold feels like. So, God bless all of you for for living here. But I'm so, <laughs> but I'm so excited to be here because um, there's something special about this place. Uh, there's something magical um, when the power of community, the power of a tribe that's like on a movement together. Uh, and I've just sensed that there's something truly beautiful here. Uh, so thank you for letting me come and, and just share a little bit of some thoughts that God's been putting on my mind and my heart uh, and what's been happening here. Um, so yeah, as uh, Bobby said, uh, I'm from uh, Mosaic uh, in L.A., which is uh, an awesome community of faith, uh, that we have just been doing some awesome things in the world, and we've been seeing God move powerfully. And I just wanted to share a little bit about what kind of, That journey has been like uh, for me personally, and for us. And but before I do that, I feel like I don't know if any those of you that are married know like when you travel without your spouse, uh, it like sucks. It's just like (laughs) not cool. So I really miss my wife, and so I was like, I just feel like I got to talk about my wife for a second. So then maybe I'll just like channel her energy here with me uh, through live stream, of course. Um, But yeah. To start with the story that God's been moving in my life, uh, I feel like I have to go back to the moment that changed everything for me. You see, I, I was at uh, our, our gathering at Mosaic, and, and I looked to my left, and I saw, like, the most beautiful thing that I've ever laid eyes on. It was these Italian leather boots that were, <laughs> like, just stunning. And I, I didn't understand it because I'm not really a boot guy, right? You know, But I'm like, there's something about these like boots that was so drawn to. And I'm, like, looking, like, wow, those are so, like, beautiful and so cool. I, whoever, like, owns these boots, they've got to be, like, such an awesome human being. So, so I look, and I've like, got to find out who, who owns them. And, and I go to look up to find out. But then I realize, hold up, I'm in church. Like, you can't do, like, the head-to-toe look up. That's, like, against the Bible or something, right? And so, so then I freak out. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't look. So I'm just still staring at her feet. So then I realize, wow, this is really creepy as well. Now I'm like... <laughs> just looking at this girl's feet. And so I was just like, all right, I'll just figure it out later. And, and so the gathering goes on, and, and then afterwards, I just go searching for those boots. And I'm just like looking like, where are they? I need to find them. And, and then finally I look, and I, I make con- eye contact with something that was far more beautiful than those boots. And she walks over, and we introduce ourselves, and she says, my name is Rebecca. And that's a terrible accent, but she's from New Zealand. And the more and more that she talked, the more layers that I peeled back, I was so fascinated about who she was. I was more and more curious about, wow, this woman that is from this land so far away, and she's a hobbit, and, like, this is, like, (laughs) this is epic. I never thought this day would come. And we talked for an hour after the gathering, and we are just, like, falling for each other. And it was, like, in the movies. You know the movies, like, when, you know, in that moment where, like, it's perfect, the wind is blowing, in her hair, and, you know, it's like slow motion, and there's like, back there's a guy on the guitar in the background just playing. It was like one of those moments, and I was like, wow, there's something that's happening here. And we started this summer romance that was just a three-month period that changed my life. And every moment that we spent with each other, we were drawn more and more close to the heart of what was happening in both of our lives and what God was doing in us we started having this idea that maybe there's something God's doing in our story that he's trying to reclaim and redeem love, that he's trying to use us as an example of his mission in the world. And that three months was powerful and beautiful. One of these, things, I don't know if you noticed it, but the more time that you spend with someone, you begin to, like, emulate them and look like them and have their mannerisms, right? So I started noticing this with my wife, you know? And one of the things that, that she does is, or she makes me do, is whenever we're out in public, I'll have to, I'm like the bag carrier, that's my job. So I'll, I'm carrying you know, shopping bags and grocery bags and her purse and you know, the purse goes there and I've got that, these four arms of steel. And I started noticing like, it was showing up in all the wrong places though. Like I was at the gym with some friends and we finished playing basketball and, and I went to grab my bag. You know? And instead of doing the normal, you know, like it goes over your shoulder you know, type thing with the backpack, I go, I grab it and I put it right there, right there, like a purse. And I was like, nope, nope, took that off and put it on. Well, hopefully nobody, like, saw that, because I just started becoming more and more like her. There's this one thing that she does whenever she's really excited, where she'll, she'll describe something. She's like, like, when she loves food, so she's talking about like, that omelet, it was like, it was so amazing. And so she starts singing <laughs> at the end of her sentences. That's how she's really excited. So I started doing that. You know, I was talking about, like, the game. Like, did you see that dunk? Blake Griffin, he was awesome. That dunk was amazing. <laughs> And then my friends were like, bro, something's wrong with you. Like, I'm like, I know, I fell in love, I can't help it. See, there's something that happens. The more and more that you connect with another human being, the more and more that you connect with somebody relationally, where you begin to adopt the best things about them. You begin to, your life begins to model the things that they care about. And it's so true that we find, that's what happened with the disciples. That they connected to this person of Jesus that changed everything for them and they went on this mission for three years where they were doing things that they could have never imagined possible and all of a sudden they begin to more look more and more like Christ and more and more like Christ and more and more like his character and then all of a sudden just like that he's gone can you imagine what it must have been like for them that the person that they had identified with the future of their lives, it's all of a sudden was dead, was gone. And I can relate to what that must have felt like. Because after dating for a few months, Rebecca was kicked out of the country because her visa expired. Which I'm still upset with the government about. But. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what we thought was like this powerful story that God was uniting us we literally were worlds apart, me in L.A. and her in Australia. And we spent the next 11 months doing long distance and having obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And every application we turned in, we got sent back declined. Every evidence we had to prove to validate a relationship was questioned. And we took the next 11 months wondering what in the world's happening. I don't know if you've ever been there, but these moments in our lives were... We ask God, where are you? I feel like I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I feel like I'm doing everything right, yet I can't find you. I don't feel you. I feel so disconnected from you. And there's this moment in the scriptures where the disciples felt completely disconnected from the person of Jesus, that he had days earlier given up his life. And we pick up this story in in John chapter 21. If you have a copy of the scripture, you can pull it out. If not, we'll have it on the screens. But we step into this moment where the disciples are probably the most disconnected from Jesus that they've ever been in their entire life. And here's what it says. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciple did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I don't know about you guys, but who's a fan of unsolicited advice? Raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> None of us, right? Nobody like, enjoys that one guy that always has an opinion about that thing. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the disciples, right? They're out fishing. This was their livelihood. They were fishermen. This is what they did better than anyone in the world. And then all of a sudden you have this guy who comes along the shore, and it's like he's, like, ridiculing them. It's like he's talking smack, right? He says, hey, friends, hey, caught any fish? I mean, if I was them, I probably wouldn't have just responded no. I probably would have had some adjectives in front of no. Because I'm like, who do you... Who are you to tell me how to do my job, right? How frustrating is it when people give you advice about something that you know that you know more about than they do? And so Jesus is in this space where where he's trying to move them to a place that they don't know where he's trying to take them, but there's something inside of them that was remembering what his voice sounded like. I love that it, describes that they had no idea who it was. That they didn't know it was Jesus, they just thought thought it was this man that was trying to ask them a question. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment that they have where they have two choices. They could, in all pride and all arrogance, say, who in the world are you to tell me how to fish? Because the thing is, what Jesus was asking them to do, they had already done See, it said that they had started the night before and it went all the way through the morning and they had caught nothing. You see, they had already cast their net to the left and waited and then pulled the net up and it was empty. They had already cast their net to the front and waited and then pulled their net up again and it was empty. They had already threw, threw it to the right. Where he was just telling them to and pulled it up and it was empty. See, Jesus was trying to get them to this place where he's saying, I know you've already done that before, I know you've moved like this before, but I need you to hear my voice and listen and trust me. And there was something about the disciples where they were completely desperate. And there's something about the health of our souls when we're we're most ready and receptive to hearing the voice of God is when we're desperate. That what God is trying to do is move us to places where where he's saying, are you truly desperate to hear me? Is there desperation in your soul that you've tried everything else? And even I'm going to ask you to do something you've already done. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer again. I'm going to ask you to risk again. I'm going to ask you to be generous again. And all of a sudden the disciples in this moment have the choice. Do I tell this guy, you're crazy, you've already done this, or do you just listen and try it again? And they do, and they cast the net, and I love that it says there were so many fish in this net that they couldn't haul it in. Because Jesus is always trying to move us to the place where we are a part of things that are far bigger than even our brains can imagine. Why, I don't even think they even fathomed how much fish they could have brought in, how much provision God was willing to give them. Yet the moment they trusted him, the moment they listened and they responded, God did things that blew their mind. He did a powerful thing among them. And if you continue, I love how in verse 7 it says this. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. Side note. Side note. I don't know how you guys fish in Green Bay, but in L.A., we fish with our clothes on. Apparently, back in the day, they did not. So I love the little just language of saying, oh, he had to put his clothes on because they were really good friends. Because you don't fish naked if you're not really good friends. (laughs) And so he wraps his, his outer garment and he puts it back on. And there is this sense of complete gratitude this complete joy where he's like i can't even wait i need to jump out of the boat and swim to the shore and so verse eight it says the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards when they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread jesus said to them bring some of the fish you have just caught Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. I love that it's like the light bulb goes off in John's head that the moment it's like when the net comes out of the water and he sees this net full of fish, all of a sudden it triggers this memory. I know what that looks like. You see, one of the healthiest things that we can do in our spiritual lives is to begin to identify the fingerprints of God in our lives. See, there's these moments where God is moving in history, where he is moving in our lives, where he is like so present and so active but we actually are like Peter, and we stand on the shore and we don't even recognize that it's him. That we don't even realize that he's been moving in our lives in such a powerful way that he's just waiting for us to realize that he's been there all along. And it's this moment where, where all of a sudden Peter, in all of his brokenness, and all of his confusion and all of his like desperation, he jumps in saying, Oh my goodness. Everything was out of alignment. Everything was crazy and frustrating. But now, I remember what Jesus was calling me to. See, because there's this interesting parallel. It's like almost the exact same scenario that we find three years earlier. See, Jesus had just begun to start his mission in the world. And he finds these two fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew. And they're fishing, and Jesus comes, and He like whispers into their soul, saying, "Come, follow Me, and I'll make you fishers of men." And I love how the scriptures describe it. says Immediately they dropped their nets and followed Him, because there was something inside of their souls. I was saying, I was created to be a part of a mission and a movement bigger than myself. Yet we fast forward three years, and what happened is they went back to being fishermen instead of being the fishers of men and women that Jesus had called them to be. Because there's these moments in our lives where we feel completely isolated and disconnected from God. And in those moments, instead of hearing the whisper of God calling us forward, we forget what his voice sounds like and we go back to what we knew. We go back and we identify with ourselves of who we were before we met him. And we go to be fishermen instead of being fishers of people. And it's this moment where it was like everything begun to realign in Peter's life. And he remembered that Jesus had called him to something that was going to rock the world. And he was so excited. And he, and he was like, this is my no turning back moment. And I resonate so much with what Peter was at. Because I think about my own life and and how I relate to his narrative. See, I grew up being absolutely obsessed with superheroes, absolutely obsessed with Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, I grew up in, like, the glory days of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and He-Man and My Little Pony, right? Like, I mean, those are some ferocious ponies, y'all, okay? But there was something inside of my soul that was, like, gravitating towards this heroic narrative, like this idea that I was created for something far bigger than myself, that God was like compelling me to live a life worth meaning. And so I was obsessed with these heroic nature. But all of a sudden, I can tell you the moment that it changed. I was sitting in my sixth grade math class, and it was Miss Snodgrass. And God bless her heart, but Miss Snodgrass was not a good teacher. But it probably wasn't her fault. I was not a good student. (laughs) But I hated math class. It was a one hour a week where I went away in my brain. I just daydreamed because I couldn't connect to math. And all of a sudden, I'm just spaced out, and I hear the teacher say, if Joe Smith buys three cans of paint for X amount of dollars and gets X amount of change, how much did each can of paint cost? And the whole class, like, starts erupting in laughter. Ah, Joe. And they're pointing at me. That's you. You're in the book. And the first thing that popped in my head was, I don't remember buying any paint. (laughs) I'm like, maybe I was with my mom, and she bought it, and they just, like, thought it was me. So I'm like, I don't remember that, but okay, cool. I guess I did. Um, I'm awesome. Thanks. Yeah. And I remember going home being, like, just had that, like, aura about me. Like, Mom, guess what? They're writing about me in books. I'm like, I'm famous now, so, so you're gonna have to take out the trash on your own now. Like, sorry, I'm, I'm past that, you know? And then I mean, she gives me the big hug and, you know, says, like, Baby, we, we know you're special. And I was like, I don't know what she meant by that, but I'm gonna give her the, the benefit of the doubt. And I was so excited. I'm like, man, I'm a history maker now. And I remember a couple months later, it came up again in another class, in a book we were reading. It said Joe Smith. And then it came up in another book a few months later and my name was in there. And then I got home one day and there was an envelope opened and it was a credit card offer for my mom. But it had my name on it. It said Joe Smith. And I'm like, I'm rich. (laughs) This is awesome. Dinner's on me. I got this. But then, very shortly after, I realized what was happening. And it wasn't that People were writing about me for doing nothing. It wasn't that my life had mattered, even though I hadn't done any of these things. What it was was that my name, Joe Smith, was used as the moniker for the average, the ordinary, the common. And all of a sudden, I had this tension inside of my soul that was ripping me apart. Or I had this voice that was saying, you were created to be a part of a movement that would change the world, that you were created to do something that mattered. Yet at the same time, I had this other voice that was just as loud, saying you're nothing more than average, ordinary, mundane. And I found myself wrestling with these two voices. See, I don't know about you, but I feel like there's these moments in our lives where, where we're at war with ourselves, where God has told us and compelled us to be the person that we are created to be, yet at the same time, there's this other voice that we listen to, this voice that tells us to be less. Because if we're honest, sometimes it's just easier to be less, right? It's just easier to do the status quo. It's just easier to just exist. Sometimes life is just easier when we choose less. But the reality is that life is so much more beautiful and life is so much more fulfilling when we aspire to be more. When we hear the voice of God saying, I created you to be fishers of men and women, not to be a fisherman. And all of a sudden, the disciples are in this moment where it's like there's a line in the sand. God is saying, who do you want to be? because we've had this conversation enough, and I don't know if we can do it again. Peter, I need you to know who you were created to be, and do you have the courage to be the man that I would build the church on? And there's this moment where Peter finally says, yes, I want to be a part of that life. I want to be a part of that movement. And he was forever changed in that moment. And I wonder how many moments in our lives that we miss because we choose to be less when God is trying to inspire us to be more, when he is trying to inspire us to be the person that we were created to be. And there's this interesting little side note in this passage that I always thought was like out of place. In verse 11, it says, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153. I mean, I've always read this story and wondered, like, why 153? It just seems out of place. seems like an inconsequential detail that we don't really need to know, but it's in here, right? And we're not allowed to say that, right? We can't say, like, things in the Bible are meaningless, right? Like, that's, like, sacrilegious. But if we're honest, there's some things that we're like, I don't really care about that. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I just did. Um, (laughs) But when I've read this one, I'm like, why? There's something in there. That God is trying to tell us something. And so I went and Googled, like, all these, like, research about what that number could mean. And I even asked Irwin because he's, like, first I go to Google, and then I go to Irwin Like, those are my, my two things I go to. And I'm like, why? 153. And there's all these theories about what it could be, and there's pro- they're probably true. But they never really resonated with me. It didn't really connect, like, deep in my soul. Like, no, I feel like God's trying to say something else. And then the more and more I began to reflect on it, it it jumped out of the page. You see, I can't tell you how many sets of dishware that we have in our house. No idea. I can't tell you how much we pay rent for our apartment. I don't know. It just comes out of my account, whatever it is. See, I can't tell you how many people are in this room because I have no idea of numbers. I'm just terrible at numbers. But what I can tell you is that there's nothing that brings my wife Rebecca more joy than a a latte from her favorite cafe that has two raw sugars in it. See, I can tell you that my wife has three very distinct laughs for three very different purposes. See, I can tell you that at Mosaic in the last 12 months in L.A., we have seen God move in a powerful way where there was 458 people that, chose to follow Jesus through baptism, a movement that we had never seen in our church of people declaring and publicly saying, I am connected to Jesus. So I can tell you those numbers because the details matter when you're doing something that matters. See, when you care about something at your core, you know every little detail about it. And so with the disciples in this moment, Can you imagine what it must have been like to every time you cast out the net and pull it up to have nothing? Can you imagine what it had been like to be so frustrated, to be so broken that the person that you had connected with this movement was gone, and you're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? And so you go back to what you know, and yet it's not working. Everything that they tried wasn't working until this man comes along the shore and whispers into the depths of their soul, saying, cast your net on the right side and you will find some. And there was something about, even though they didn't recognize that it was him, they recognized what he was moving them towards and what his voice sounded like. And so the reason that they counted 153 fish and they put it in these scriptures and we documented it thousands upon thousands upon years later is because every one of those fish mattered. Because because their struggle mattered because they're desperation mad. And they said, we need to remember this moment. We need to remember that Jesus was calling us back to himself to be a part of a movement that is going to change the world. And we need to know that there was 153 fish in here so that we know that we are fishers of people. That there is a world that is disconnected from the living God, that he's inviting us to cast our net to the left and to the right and to the front and to the back and pull up a net that has so many fish that is so full that there aren't enough boats to log it in. See, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that there's a voice inside of you that's saying, I was created to be a part of a mission that is bigger than myself. And the story that Jesus invites us into is that we get to be his hands and his feet. We get to be his arms and his movement his comfort, his hope. He says, there are people all around the world that are desperate to be connected from me, that are disconnected from the God who loves them, and I'm asking you, do you want to be more, or are you going to always choose to be less? Because the story of God is of a God of the universe putting on flesh and blood becoming one of us, to remind us what it means to truly live. The story of God is that he came to redeem humanity to himself, and he asks us, are you willing to be fishers of men and women, or do you solely want to be fishermen? And I wonder what Green Bay would look like if a tribe of people said, there is a sea of fish waiting to be connected to the living God, and we got to join with him in a movement that would change history. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the movement that God is doing in the world. You guys down with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much That even when we're disconnected from you, you walk to the shore and whisper into the depths of our souls. That even when we forgot what your voice sounds like, you draw closer and closer and closer until we finally are able to recognize your voice and respond. God, I am so honored to be able to serve with you in a mission that this world has never seen. And I pray, God, that every person that's here would live lives that are full and the people around them would look and say, what is it about you that I don't have? Why is your net full and mine's empty? And I pray that this world would begin to recognize you as the God who came for them and would trust you with their lives. God, we thank you so much. We love you. And we so grateful. You always call us to be more, even when we want to be less. We ask all this in the name of your precious Son. Amen.